Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Look carefully here at... uh, Verse 14 and 15 with me. It's got a lot of stuff and it's really important. It says, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And this is our introduction to the fact that Jesus is better than Moses. And it's an allusion to, to the book of Exodus, right? It's an allusion to the book of Exodus and, the, and, and, and God's chosen people, the Israelites, that were held in slavery by the Egyptians, okay? That's the imagery that if you're a Jew, this is stirring up in you. Slavery to sin, slavery to death. Well, when were we enslaved? Well, we were enslaved back, back in Egypt. And, and, and so uh, this is their story, but this is our story too. Ephesians 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that's now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also, you know, uh, follow that gratifying our, 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 our sinful cravings. And, and we get into that. And when we read Ephesians 2, what we find out is we were dead. We, we were foreigners. We were aliens. We were far off. And we've talked about this before. This is salvation, right? The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was a point in life, in fact, Romans says it this way, in Romans 6, it says this, it says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And so, so the Bible teaches us, guys, that, that just like the Israelites were once enslaved by the Egyptians, we were enslaved to sin. And therefore, we were enslaved to death. And the Bible says when we were in that condition, that we were objects of God's wrath, we were his sworn enemies, actually, and that in the midst of us being enemies of God and objects of his wrath, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to save us and to free us from our slavery to sin. Okay. now, when that happens and we when when Jesus comes as our new Moses, as our new deliverer to set us free and he says, hey, listen, come follow me. That moment that we begin to follow Jesus at that moment, we're no longer slaves. The Bible says that we are saved from the penalty of our sin, which is death. As we begin to walk in Christ. We call this all kinds of things, keeping in step with the spirit, abiding in Christ, fellowship with God, all of those things that we might. As we do that, we begin to be saved from the power of sin. And eventually Jesus will either come back or take us to be home. We're going to be saved from the presence of sin. So here's what the Bible would paint. This is the picture. This is why this is our story. This is why this is important text to you, because you too were a slave to sin. You too were a slave to to death. Mankind has been enslaved by sin and death and the devil, but Jesus is better. 
And that's our lesson this morning. I want you to see this morning, Jesus is a better liberator. Now, I could have used deliverer because Moses was the deliverer, but I like the word liberator because when you say it, it's quite liberating because it's about freedom, isn't it? It's about freedom and freedom indeed is going to be our focus this morning as you see that Jesus is a better liberator. And I'll give you three reasons. And here's the first. Number one, Jesus is a better liberator because he sets us free from the finality of death. Jesus sets us free from the finality of of death. And the gospel is both beautiful and brutal. It's both beautiful and brutal. Look at verse 17. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And, And you might underline this next part that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Jesus makes atonement for us. And that's key to understanding the gospel. What is atonement? That's a big churchy word, isn't it? You know what? Let's explain it with some more churchy words, okay? Because we're really good at that. So what atonement means really in big theological terms, first and foremost, it means expiation. Just in case you ever read it. Because, you know, you never will unless you read a bunch of old dead guys. But expiation basically means the removal of guilt through a payment of penalty. A, A great, like, normal word for that would be redemption, okay? Redemption. When Christ died on the cross, many things happened unto us. And one of those things is that redemption. What does redemption mean? It means that you were you were enslaved, you were in prison, that you were being held. And there was a penalty that had to be paid. There was a price and that Jesus came and he paid the price for you to be released. Okay, all right. That's 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 what happens sometimes in our world today. Unfortunately, somebody goes to jail. They have to pay a price. They get out of jail. Right. Only this is worse. Jesus has paid a price for us. So expiation, redemption happens on the cross. But then there's another big theological term because we don't understand atonement. So we'll throw this other one big out there. Propitiation. That is the other thing that happens on the cross. What is propitiation? Well, it's basically that we get to avoid the wrath of God. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. We get to avoid the wrath of God. And, And again, guys, this this is the heart of the gospel. Right. I mean, we go back to the beginning. What is the beginning that God created all things, everything that we see and that we don't see, that everything belongs to God. And because everything belongs to God, all things are accountable unto God. And, and we are who are accountable to God have rebelled against God and we become his sworn enemy. And because of that, we are objects of wrath, Ephesians 2. And the wrath of God is a just wrath because he made all things and all things are accountable to him. And when things accountable to him rebel against him, guess what? They're going to pay the penalty. That's the wrath of God. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that atonement, that it averted the wrath of God, that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. Now, if we're looking for a common word, you might just call this salvation. Christians whom I love. When Jesus died, he didn't die to save you from yourself. and He didn't die to save you from your sins. He died to save you from the wrath of God. And that's a pretty heavy thing. That's a pretty to be God's sworn enemy. That's a pretty big deal. And so when Jesus died, he died to save you from that. And that's atonement. Atonement is both of those words. It's redemption. It's salvation. It's it's expiation and and propitiation and um, expiation and propitiation. See, I can't even say them when I talk fast. That's why I don't use those words. Atonement is both. And, and, and hear me, the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of avoiding the wrath of God that, that we deserve, of having our guilt, our penalty of death removed from us, that, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? That's why we sing Amazing Grace, by the way. 
It's amazing. But that kind of beauty, that kind of grace, it comes at a great cost and it comes at the brutality of the cross. Make no mistake, Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life so that he could die in your place. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die brutally in our place. We celebrate Christmas because of Good Friday and Easter. Jesus was born so that he could die and conquer death. That's why he came. Don't ever forget it. Don't get lost in the tree and the lights and the presents and not look to the cross on Good Friday. Because Jesus came to die. This was his purpose. It was his mission. This is costly, brutal grace. This is amazing, unmerited love on display. That's what atonement is. Jesus came to die in our place. The death that we deserve. Now hear me. Death. Death has always had a power over us since the fall in Genesis. We were created to be in God's image. We were created to be with God forever. Right? But in the fall, because we wanted to be like God, we were cast out of the presence of God. We no longer had access to eternal life. And at that moment, death began to reign over individuals. And people started to die. And we had to make graves. And we had to bury folks, right? And, and now, now sickness and all kind of heartache enters our world that we weren't created for and, and who God made us. And because of that, death has held this power over us. We, we've become slaves to sin and Satan and death and fear of death. Because of its finality. Because death is the great exclamation mark on life. This death which we were never created for, it's become the end. But I want you to see what Jesus did on the cross. This is a big deal, ready? Fill in the blanks with me. On the cross, Jesus became the death of death. (laughs) On the cross, Jesus became the death of death. And I got to give credit where credit is due. Some guy named S.W. Gandy came up with that statement a long time ago. And I I, I read that this week. I was like, that's a smart man. On the cross, Jesus became the death of death. On the cross, Jesus put death to, to death forever. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. He says, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Get this. Who has destroyed death. He's saying he put death to death and he brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. In Christ, death has been destroyed and life, life has been brought. Eternal life has been brought. You and I were not meant for this thing called death. We were meant for life, immortality, and because of Jesus, we can have it. Jesus is a better liberator, number one, because he sets us free. He sets us free from the finality of death. In Christ, when I breathe my last breath, that is not the end of my story, but just the beginning of a greater one. (laughs) That's awesome to think about. Number two, Jesus is a better liberator because he sets us free from the fear of death. He sets us free from the fear of death. Verse 15 in Hebrews 2, it says that Jesus came to free Those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Their whole lives held in in slavery by their fear of death. And if you're going to take a survey today of what people in our world are afraid of, death is very high on the list. It's interesting now we've become afraid of some other things like public speaking. And it's actually higher than death. I don't understand that. There's a whole joke there about the funeral and you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. But anyway... 
Death is one of man's greatest fears. And the Bible says it's so much so that we're controlled by. And you may think that's not me. That's not me at all. Well, I'm here to tell you, we've all got a little bit of strain in this. Maybe you've seen it when you got on an airplane. Have you flown recently? You know, there's always that one person on the plane that has never flown before. And and you kind of get in and as you're sitting down and especially if you have assigned seats, you just know it because you kind of put your thing in the overhead and then you sit down and you kind of look to your left. And all of a sudden you see the person is already green and the plane has not moved at all. And then they begin to start the engine and they start to sweat profusely. And I'm like, where are the barf bags? They've got to be around here somewhere. See, we're talking about vomit all day. Welcome. And, 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 and then the plane begins to start and they, they, they tense up like a board and they shut their eyes and like we're going like five miles an hour. I'm like, dude, your car goes faster than this, right? And now they're like touching you. They're grabbing your hand and the guy next and they're like, their nails are squeezing into your flesh because they're going to die. And it's even worse on the landing. I'm like, listen, you didn't die during the initial part. You're not going to die. Now let go of me, stranger. You see it in the mother that's overprotective of their child. So afraid that they'll get hurt or injured. You see it in the husband that's overprotective of his wife. You see it, unfortunately, at the hospital. Oftentimes when it's time to say goodbye, but they're so afraid to do so that they hang on and on and on. We are a people that are controlled by our fear of death because we think it's the final chapter sometimes. But a lot of times just because death in itself is scary. And I'm here to tell you that apart from Christ, death is meant to be that way. Death is meant to be scary, friends. I just want to show this to you. Without Jesus, this is what death is. Number one, without Jesus, death is a penalty. Without Jesus, death is a penalty, right? Romans 6.23 says uh, the wages of sin is death. Now, that means that the paycheck of your sin is death. That's a penalty. I'm, I'm so weary of Christians that want to sugarcoat the gospel, want to sugarcoat the word of God, and they want everybody to just think, well, God is love. God is love, but he is also just, and God penalizes people. Oh, well, you know what? Hell's not a penalty. Really? Then I don't think you've read your Bible. Because you read about that place and you tell me how that's not a penalty, right? Because in our house, we have rules. And when our children break those rules, guess what? There is, there's a penalty. There's a cost. And the Bible says there is a penalty, there is a cost to sin, and it is called death. And apart from Christ, that's what death is. It's a penalty. It should be feared. Two, apart from Jesus, death is a punishment. Again, don't sugarcoat the gospel. Well, God is love. God would never send anybody to hell. And that's just a terrible thought. And how could God be? God is all those things. He's totally loving and he's totally just. But there's punishment. Matthew 13, 40 through 42. It says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man is going to send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin. Now, this is huge. Weed out everything that causes sin and all who do evil they will, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is punishment. But why is there punishment? Because God loves you. Because God loves you so much that he wants you to exist in a place where there is no sin. Where there's nothing that can hurt you or harm you. That you can have eternal life. Wonderful life. But for that to happen, he must remove it all. There must be punishment. Everything that sins or causes sin will be sent to hell. That's a real, real thing. That's punishment. You can't sugarcoat that. You can't explain that away. 
And without Christ, that's what death is. Without Christ, death is, is misery. Maybe it's been a long time since you've read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. If you want your heart broken for people around you, I encourage you to read Luke 16. See if I can make it. I didn't make it through it in the first service. Let's see how we do. So, uh, rich man and Lazarus and the rich man, all his life, all kinds of things are given to him. And yet he, he doesn't care about anyone else. Lazarus, his whole life, it's very difficult, but he loves others. He loves God. Rich man finds himself in hell. Lazarus is in heaven. Father Abraham. Rich man looks up and he calls, calls out. So it says, he, so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus, who he used to see as a dog, send Lazarus just to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. And I ask you Christians, what on earth are we doing? We are playing church, acting like there's not anything of importance and there is misery for people apart from Jesus. And we're playing tiddlywinks. Without Christ... Misery awaits agony, the Bible says. That's the reality of hell. If, if you want to be broken hearted for lost people, then I, I, go read your Bible because it's there. You can't explain it away just as much as there is a glorious heaven in the presence of Christ where all things are set right and there is no sin. There is a horrible hell. Number four, without Jesus... Death is judgment. Jesus said in John 3.18, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. Word condemned means God's strong disapproval. To take an all-powerful God and the vengeance of God and the wrath of God and that to be upon you. There's judgment. And friends, without Christ, I'm telling you, that's death. That you should be afraid of that. Like, like without you should have a godly fear of death if you don't know Jesus. But you've got to know the power of the cross. In, in Christ, you see this, this is in your notes. In Christ and through his sacrifice, the meaning of death has been transformed. In, in, in Christ, this is how powerful the cross is. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice, the meaning of death has been transformed. And death no longer is about fear or judgment or wrath, but it is about promise of blessing and being with God. That's huge. In Christ, we have nothing to fear of death. Nothing. All that's removed. The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? In Christ, the sting of death, the, the, the sting of sin, it's completely gone. We have nothing to fear. Jesus is a better liberator because he sets us free from the fear of death that has held on to us for so long. Wow. Finally, Jesus is a better liberator because he sets us free from the distance of death. I'm going to tell you the, the penalty, the punishment, the misery, the judgment. Those are all terrible realities of hell. Can I tell you in my book what's worse? Ready? The distance. Separation from God. 
I, I think the separation will be immensely worse than any of the other stuff because the God who made you in his own image to be with him and live in fellowship with him, you will not feel that presence at all. And I think that the distance will be overwhelming and insufferable. Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 59 two. it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your, your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I want to go back to Lazarus for a second. The story of Lazarus and, and, and the rich man. I want to go back to the parable of Luke 16 uh, to show you a little bit more context here of what goes on when you die apart from Christ. He says, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm. Wait, go back. Go one more. We missed that. Go to the next one and then we'll come back. Yes, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And now besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over. From there to here. If we die apart from Christ, there is eternal separation from God. There is a chasm that is fixed that cannot be crossed. Maybe you know somebody that's been taught the wrong gospel, the wrong kind of thoughts about God. And and they, they think that, well, you know what? In the end, we'll have an opportunity to change our minds. No, you won't. In the end, what's set is set, and there will be set between you a chasm that is, that is un, unfathomably large. You can't go from one to the other, Jesus says. But I want you to hear me in Christ. In Christ, there is no such distance. Listen to what Paul writes. This is huge, Romans 8. Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor, nor life, nor angels, or demons, or the, the present, or the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that means, this is huge, it's in your notes, it means that because of the cross, because of the death of Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Death can no longer separate us from God. Death is not to be feared. Death is not the final chapter because death cannot separate you from God. Not in Christ Jesus. There is no separation. No longer. It's done. It's done. It's finished. Jesus is a better liberator because he frees us from the finality of death, the fear of death, the sting of death, the distance of death. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of atonement. It's costly, amazing grace. So what do we, what do, we do with the atonement? What, what do we do when we start to understand that Jesus has come to do this? Okay. And so I said this is all an allusion to the book of Exodus. So we're going to go there for our advice. We're going to turn to the word of God. Okay. And so number one, here's what we do. Cry out to Jesus. 
cry out to Jesus. If you're not a believer, you cry out to Jesus. You're a believer and you're in trouble. You cry out to Jesus. So many people, they're like, I just, I don't know that I could go ever tell anybody how they could come to know God. Yeah, you can. Ready? The end is coming. It's not going to be good. Here's how you help it. Ready? Cry out to Jesus. It's four words. It's not hard. You don't have to know the Roman road. You don't have to know, no, well, here's the, the creation story. This was the fall. This is what happened. This is what you tell that person. Cry out to Jesus. Because here's the truth of God's word. Ready? Long time ago, people were enslaved, just like us. And listen to what happened. In their slavery, it said, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Because after all, it's not like God doesn't know. He says, I've heard them crying out because um, of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. God says, I heard their cries. I heard the cries of those that were enslaved. Guess what? God still hears the cries of slaves. Now, we don't. That's a whole different sermon. We don't want to know about the children that are being thrown into slavery in the sex industry. We don't want to know about all the orphans of the world. We want to turn off our computers. In. But I assure you that God knows. That God hears the cries of, of those that are enslaved and he still answers them. And so the answer for us is to cry out to Jesus. And I don't know what has you enslaved this morning. It, it's a sad thing for me, but, but so many of us, we even come to know Christ. There's ultimate freedom there. And yet we still choose slavery. And we're walking and there's something in us that is keeping us from God. And, and maybe that's some kind of secret sin. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe you were hurt from a church or a boss or a friend. But there is distance between you and God. And you know what you do when there's distance? You cry out to Jesus. You cry out to Jesus because in Christ there's nothing that can separate you from God. Nothing. So we start there. Okay, from there. We follow Jesus in obedience. Here's the deal. So, slaves, God sends Moses. Moses says, listen, God's telling me I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to be your deliverer. It's not me that's doing this. This is all from God. God's going to lead us to the promised land. And they say, yes, okay, we're going to follow you at some point. And then you know what they actually had to do? They actually had to follow. That was kind of, that was kind of the deal, Right. So, so, so we, we too, we've got to follow Jesus and we've got to walk in obedience. I'm here to tell you that it won't always be easy. And I know that flies in the face of our modern culture. And, and you, listen, if you think that Christianity is easy, you've got to turn off your TV set. You really do. I mean, it's, it's just not even worth their weight. We, we live in this culture that thinks that, you know, God is a God of the open door. I heard John Ortberg this week preach on that. It was awesome. God is a God of the open door. Here's where we mess up is we think that God's open doors are always supposed to um, be easy. We're supposed to have peace about walking through the door. Friends, do you think Jesus had peace about the cross? Is that what Gethsemane says to you? Does Gethsemane say to you over and over and over that Jesus was happy about the door which God had opened? Is that what it says to you? That he was, he was thrilled about taking the wrath of mankind upon himself. He was super pumped about having his hands pierced and his feet pierced. He was really excited about dying a death of asphyxiation where he couldn't breathe any longer. He thought that would be awesome. So then he stepped through the cross. No. No. You think, here's God's plan, ready? I'm going to lead you to the promised land. You know what we're walking through? The desert. Yay! But I just had steak after my slave driver beat the crud out of me. And it was really yummy. I had some wine to drink. Now I'm thirsty.
God's goal for your life is obedience. It just is. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. I'm here to tell you that you've got to follow Jesus in obedience. And that means that that along the way, you've got to trust that his plan is is better, that you can't complain because you know the Old Testament word for complain, which is grumble, which the Israelites did, means to, to, to make a campsite and to camp out. And that's what they did. They made a campsite and they camped out over bitter water when God was leading them to an oasis with, with 72 palm trees and 12 springs of living water. God has an oasis for you too. There's an open door before you, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be fun. It just means that God's going to be with you through that process. I tell you, I would rather walk through hell on earth with God by my side than walk through manufactured blessing without him. Follow Jesus in obedience, number three. My dear brethren, my fellow slaves, you've got to forget about Pharaoh. You've got to forget about your former master. You've got to forget about your slavery unto sin. You've got to. I know that it is hard. Guys, I've got some scars, right? I didn't become a believer until I was 20 and some of the stuff before I was 20, it's just, ugh, ugh, scars. Since I became a believer, some of those scars have wanted to come back to life in me, and I've had to kill them again. Ugh. But here's the deal. Either I'm focusing on my Savior, I'm focusing on my slavery. What about you? What about you? I know my family history. I know I stick out like a sore thumb. I know that I don't fit in physically with them. But you know what? I don't focus on that. I focus on my Savior. I focus on the family that he has engrafted me to. And I know that I am royalty in Jesus. And I know that I'm an overcomer in Christ. I know that that is where I, I, I will have my dominion is in him. And I'm here to tell you that some of our problem in life, friends, is that we live in fear, not just of death, but we live in fear of the slavery of of death. And some of you, you still can't you just can't seem to get this walk with Jesus down. You kind of start going good and then something happens and you get off track. And the reason you get off track is because you keep looking back. You keep looking back. Don't focus on Pharaoh. Don't focus on the sin. Don't focus on the slavery. You've got to focus on Jesus. Philippians 3.13 and 14. Paul says it perfectly. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Amen. Amen. I don't have this right yet. I'm working. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Number four, we're done. Never be afraid to ask for help. Verse 18, Hebrews 2, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I wish I was just talking to the men in the room, right? I mean, we hate to ask for help. I mean, we hate it, right? We go on family vacation. We take off. We are headed for Disneyland, which, of course, is in California. And suddenly we are driving through Louisiana. And our wife is going, what's going on? 
You are going in the wrong direction. And we say, no, I wanted to take the scenic route down to Florida, up to New York, through, right? I'm, I'm going this way. We're just, we're just, it's a longer vacation than you thought. Babe, what, you didn't pack enough? We hate, we, we hate to ask for it, right? We hate to ask for help. Well, guess what, ladies? Uh, spiritually, you are in the same boat. You can make fun of us and the fact that we don't ever ask for directions when we drive. We're all in the same boat. Men and women alike in the last month of my life have confessed to me that oftentimes they will not talk to God about their problems. Oftentimes they will not ask for prayer because they somewhere in them don't feel worthy of, of God answering. They feel like God is too big and God is too busy. God's too busy to, to, to want me to pray about, you know, the, my, my job or God's too busy for want me to pray about my marriage or God is too busy for this thing that I am struggling with. And I'm here to tell you, no, listen, God is just big enough. He is just big enough for all of us to pray about all of those things and him to be able to help us in all of those things all at the same time. Because this is the God that spoke and the world came into being. That's the power which he possesses. And he has the power to help you. And the Bible says that the cross, the suffering of Jesus was there as a sign. And that sign says, help available. Help available to you and to me. We have access to a Savior and we can cry out for help. And he'll answer. He'll answer. Would you guys pray with me?